We're driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search match with Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences, so the more you use Indeed, the better it gets. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Just go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire right now and support our show by saying that you heard about Indeed on this podcast. That's Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. Whether you're a world-class athlete or a podcaster like me, we all understand the importance of mental and physical well-being and proper recovery for top-notch performance. That's why I'm excited that Unified Healing is sponsoring this podcast. Unified Healing is a new and super innovative global network of wellness centers powered by Energy Enhancement System, or EE System. If you haven't heard of the EE System, you'll want to listen up. This technology promotes wellness, deep relaxation, purification, and rejuvenation. At hundreds of locations across the globe, access to a center is easy and affordable. Interested in experiencing the EE system technology for yourself? Go to unifiedhealing.com slash bluewire to learn more and find a center near you. That's unifydhealing.com slash bluewire. No material or testimonials on the Unified Healing website are intended to be viewed as medical advice or a substitute for professional medical advice, diagnosis, or treatment. Always seek the advice of your physician or other qualified healthcare provider with any questions you may have regarding a medical condition or treatment and before undertaking a new healthcare regimen, including EE system. Hello and welcome to another episode of the Top Dogs Podcast here on the Field of 68 Media Network. My name is Rob Doster, and I'm recording this late on Tuesday night after UConn went to Chicago and beat up on DePaul by 14 points and proved to the world once and for all that if you are not eating Abits from New Haven, you are not eating actual pizza. Deep dish is in fact a casserole and I'm not just saying that because I've had a little bit of that brown water tonight celebrating a nice little win. Uh, also, never forget, you can cop some of our merch over at our merch store, Field of 68.shop. And if you are not yet to subscribe to the daily, the Field of 68 daily, uh, what are you even doing? Are you even a college basketball fan at this point? Go sign up. It's free. You get it every morning in your inbox, 8.30 a.m., Monday through Friday. It's the best way to stay caught up on the world of college basketball from a national perspective. And I promise there is some UConn. Uh, content in there quite a bit as well. They do it to keep me happy. I'm the boss. I can do whatever I want. Anyway, let's get into this game tonight. UConn uh, pulled away for a 90-76 to win uh, behind 26 points from Jordan Hawkins, 25 points and nine boards from Adama Sonogo, and a cool 21 points, three assists, three steals, and exactly zero turnovers from Tristan Newton. That is now back-to-back games where Tristan Newton has gone for a 20-piece, and it is the fourth straight game where he has scored in double figures. Uh, it's, it's, It's important. Him scoring matters. 
him being an outlet for offense matters. In five of the previous six games before this recent four-game stretch, Newton failed to score more than seven points. He went scoreless in the loss to St. John's. He had 13 points in the win over Creighton, the only win during that five-game stretch. He had 17 points and seven assists in the win over Georgetown. He had 13 points in the win over Iowa State. He had nine points and eight assists in the win over Alabama earlier this season. When he is a guy that can go get a bucket, it changes things for UConn offensively. We're going to get into Jordan and Dom in a second because I I can't – I think that what they were able to do on Tuesday was mad. Like, we have to have a conversation about that. But I cannot emphasize enough just how important it is for Tristan Newton to play the way that he played on Tuesday night, to play the way that he played last Wednesday night, to play the way that he's played in some of the bigger games that UConn has had so far this season. I've talked about this for months now at this point. The thing UConn is missing is a point guard. They need a guy that can go out and make a play when – when things get bogged down, they need a guy that can go out and make things easier for everybody else on the roster. They need a guy that can go get you one when you get to the end of a clock or when you get to the end of a possession or when it gets into crunch time and Ed Cooley or uh, Greg McDermott or Shaka Smart or somebody in the NCAA tournament. It doesn't matter who it is. When they know what you're running and they see the set and they see the lineup, and they know what's coming. And they know what you're going to try to do. You need a guy that can go get you one when nothing else is working. And right now, this Tristan Newton is a guy that can do that. And look, I've probably been harder on this dude than anybody, right? I, I was the guy. I, I was probably one of the first people to say that he might not be good enough, that he might not be the right fit, that he might not be the answer. Um and you, if you know what, if he plays like this, if he continues doing this, then I'll, I'll be the first one to apologize to him because the last four games, he has been the guy. He has been good enough. He has been the answer. Uh, I think the most important note here and the most important stat to me out of everything, more than the points, more than the assists, more than the lack of turnovers, more than anything else. In the last four games, he has shot 27 free throws. He's gotten to the line 27 times. In the five games prior to that, he got to the line a total of nine times. Four of those five games were losses. In those four losses, he shot just three free throws. He took six of the nine free throws in the Creighton win when he had 13 points. A good, aggressive, confident Tristan Newton changes things and changes the ceiling for what this UConn team can be. And I don't think that that's a hot take. I don't think that I'm the only one that has that opinion. Um, I also think that it's incredibly important to note here that when you kind of allowed the 20 point lead that they had to melt to five, Newton was the guy that stepped up and had the answer. Uh, he hit that midi pull up out of an isolation, out of a ball screen action uh, on the next possession. He came down, he buried a three. Um, those two buckets pushed a lead that was five that, you know, you start to feel a little bit of that lemon boot. You started getting a little bit nervous about, hey, oh my God, is you kind of going to be. The team that blows another one of these leads, are they going to be the team that, that that melts a 20-point lead at DePaul? He's the one that gave them a little bit of breathing room. His shots, uh, were the those were the buckets that kind of got UConn going back in the right direction. And he shot those things with confidence, man. Like, that was, that was nice to see. On both those possessions, too, um, the offense had kind of broken down a little bit, I believe. I'd have to go back and watch the tape again to, to you know for sure. But it felt like he kind of went and got something out of a play that wasn't uh, necessarily something that was drawn up by Dan Hurley or called by Dan Hurley from the sideline. 
that is what UConn has been missing this season, and that is what they got from Tristan Newton on Tuesday night. I don't think that that can be uh, overstated how important it is that he was able to make that happen. Um, then, a couple possessions later, Adama Sonogo, when UConn was still only up single digits, uh, he followed that up by going out and getting two buckets of his own and creating two buckets of his own um, kind of out of nothing, right? It was... Both of them were kind of the same action, right? It was after Hurley had gone to that two big lineup. So he had both Adama Sonogo and Donovan Klingon on the floor together. And he ran a set to try to get a high-low action where Adama was, uh, you know, about a step outside of the foul line, um, throwing the ball into Klingon in the post. On the first one, you could actually see, you go back and watch the tape, you can actually see it. Adama calls for Sonogo to clear out of the way. He says, get out of the way. He squares the dude guarding him up. I can't remember who it was, but he goes to his right. He does his little fake spin, and he goes up, and he scores, and he gets a bucket off the glass, right? Uh, two possessions later, it's basically the same thing, but this time, squares his man up, jabs right, goes left, gets to the rim, and finishes with a lefty floater. Uh, we've talked about this all season long on this show and all season long on this podcast. Who is UConn going to go to when they need to stop the bleeding? Who is going to be the guy that can go get a bucket when they need a bucket? Who is going to be the guy that is their go-to guy? Who is going to be the guy when things break down that they can just say, everyone get out of the way, go get us one. Everyone get out of the way, go make something happen. Everyone get out of the way, go draw a foul. Go get us some free throws. Go get in the lane, draw a defender, and create an open shot for somebody else. Go do something, go make a play. On Tuesday night... It was Adama Sonogo, and it was Tristan Newton, and I cannot emphasize enough how important that is that that those guys have that confidence, that those guys prove that they have that ability and that they can try to do this moving forward and long-term because UConn needs it. Bottom line is UConn needs it. Um, I also think it's worth noting that, that Jordan Hawkins went nuts for the second straight game. Uh, he had 26 points. He was 6 for 11 from the floor. He hit 4 for 9 from 3. Um he had that ridiculous block. He had the ridiculous dunk at the end of the game. I mean, I was texting with Laval Jordan, uh, who called the game for Fox um, afterwards, and he was just saying how impressive he thought Jordan Hawkins was. Like, there was a level of you, – you see it, right? It's hard to kind of put this, this into context and put this into words, but you see it. Like, you see a dude where you just know he's the guy, right? Um, you see a guy out there and it's not just, he's someone that can make shots. It's someone that you have to keep from getting a shot, right? It's not just a dude that, you know, can score. It's a guy that you have to keep from getting hot because he can beat you by himself. If he gets going, that's what Jordan Hawkins looked like. I, I kind of choked around a little bit. I said, the Baltimore came out in it. I think that's what we saw a little bit on Tuesday night. And, you know, we saw it a little bit down the stretch against Xavier too. Like he's, I mean, he's a tough kid, man. Like he's, he's slender. And I still think he needs to add a little bit of physicality. Like, I don't think that that's a hot take at all. Uh, but he showed some fight on Tuesday. He showed some fight last Wednesday. And I know that he's been questioned a little bit this year by some UConn fans, uh, maybe a little bit by people nationally for not being aggressive enough and not kind of being more of an alpha personality in that offense. Um, and I think that, honestly, I think it's a little bit unfair you know, what his skill set is does not exactly lend you to being the only guy or being the go-to guy or being to the number one option. Um, so much of what he does well as a result of the stuff that happens around him, can he get a good screen? 
Uh, is there enough offensive weapons around him that they're not sending two guys at you? Uh, will teams pay if they switch and don't let him run off of those screens and get an open look? Um, if he comes off of a curl or comes off a screen and curls, is there a help side defender right there, right? Uh, are there other players that can go get a shot? Because what he does is kind of catch and shoot. And if he's on a, has an off night, you know, it kind of is what it is. Um, so I think that to really thrive, he needs to have weapons around him that are going. But I'll tell you this, man, that dude is absolutely lethal running off of a screen. And the way that he can, the way that he changes defenses, the way that he manipulates defenses, the way that defenses kind of have to gravitate towards him, right? They always say shooters have gravity. He has such gravity. Like you just see defenses move whenever he is running off of a screen because he is just so damn dangerous. He's just such a weapon. And, you know, more of these last two games, man, whatever it takes, more of whatever we saw the last 60 minutes of basketball from UConn, that, that's what this group is missing. That Jordan Hawkins, that Tristan Newton, that Adama Sinogo. It was, it was nice to see those three dudes really kind of step up, right? It's, it's, it's the take charge attitude, man. It's the, it's the mindset like, fuck it, I can go make something happen. It's like, fuck it, I can go make a play here. Um and I'm not just talking about on the offensive end of the floor, right? Like there was, I mentioned the block, right? There was another one too, where he, where Jordan specifically, I'm talking about here, dove for a loose ball in the corner in the first half and kind of saved it in bounds. And it ended up uh, kind of bouncing around a little bit and going off of a ball player. But it was a play that he probably um, didn't really have a, like he didn't have a great chance to get there, but he dove on the floor. He gave 100% effort. He kept the ball in the play. And he ended up winning a possession for UConn, right? Um, there was the chase down block, which like I can't emphasize enough the the way that that can kind of impact the momentum in a game. Like I don't know how you quantify momentum. I think that probably the stat, stat nerds would tell you like momentum doesn't exist. It's not a thing. Hot hand doesn't exist. It's not a thing. What I, I think that that's the stupidest thing I've ever heard in my entire life. Um, but the the it, it's an, it, this is going to sound like the most coach speech thing that I've ever said, and I kind of hate myself for saying this, but it was an energy giving play, right? That's one of those plays where when you make that block, the bench jumps up and goes crazy. When you make that block, you have your teammates on the floor going nuts because you did it. When you make that block, you know what's going to be replayed on Sports Center over and over again, and you know what's going to be in the minds of other teams that uh that play you when someone has a wide open layup, right? Like he made up like 20, 25 feet of distance and pinned a shot off the backboard, went out of bounds and came back in and finished the possession off after DePaul was able to get the regain possession of the ball, man. Like those are energy giving plays. That's the kind of thing that fires the team up. That's the kind of thing that can keep the momentum going in the right direction. Like, I don't think UConn was going to necessarily lose that game if he doesn't make that block, but it sure as hell ensured that UConn was going to able to push their lead back in the right direction, right? Like, Busting your ass to make up 20 feet of ground and to block a dunk like that, like it just makes everyone else on the court want to play with that same level of effort. And that level of effort is something that I do think this UConn group has kind of kind of been missing for a while, which brings me to Andre Jackson, and which makes me have to take a sip of this bourbon. So for my money, I know a lot of people say that Andre Jackson is the key, that getting Adama Sonogo going is the key, that Donovan Klingon playing in the two-big lineup is the key, that Tristan Newton is the, the There's all these things that the key to the, to the UConn season, and all that stuff matters, and all that stuff is important. I don't want to downplay any of it. For my money, 
Andre Jackson is the single most important player piece impact, whatever you want to call it on this UConn team. He is the key to UConn season. He is the key to UConn ceiling. He is the key to this team being able to make any kind of run in March. He is what takes this team. He is the piece that takes them from being a good team with a bunch of really good players to being a potentially great team that can do something that we're going to talk about for a while. Right now, I think it's important here before we kind of get into this conversation about Andre Jackson to understand like the way that I view this UConn team. And I don't know if everyone's going to have the same opinion and I don't know if the coaching staff is necessarily going to agree with me, but this is the way that I view this UConn team. I think that they are something of, and I'm doing air quotes here, a system team, right? Um, it's not, that's not the best way to phrase it. Cause it's not really like a system that they are running. And that's not the perfect term for the point that I'm trying to make here, but it kind of, it, it helps me get it helps me get my point across because people understand what it what, what you mean when you say a system team to to a certain degree. Um, there is a way that UConn wants to play, and that when they play this way and they do it well, they are an absolute juggernaut. No questions asked, no doubt about it. We're driven by the search for better, but when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search match with Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences, so the more you use Indeed, the better it gets. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Just go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire right now and support our show by saying that you heard about Indeed on this podcast. That's Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. They want to be a maniacal defensive team, right? They want to make it be a nightmare to have to try to play against them, to have to try to score against them in the half court. They want to force turnovers. They want to take you out of what you want to run. They want to blow up pick and rolls by hedging hard, right? They want Andre Jackson running over pin downs and to, to make it so that you can't get that curl, right? They want to blow up everything that you do. They want to take you out of your offense. They want to make it suck to play against them. They want to dominate the glass. They want to be able to get out and transition because of everything that they're doing defensively on the glass. They want to take advantage of their athleticism. They want to take advantage of the players that they have that can thrive in the open court, whether that's Jordan Hawkins, 
sprinting to a wide open three on the wing, whether that's Alex Caribbean running into a wide open catch and shoot three spotting up on the wing, whether that's Damas Nogo being able to get out uh, and beat people down the floor because of his ability to rim run and how good of a shape that he's in, whether it's Andre Jackson getting out of the wing and catching a lob or um, finding a, making a great pass in transition, making one of those. No, he had the, a beautiful no look pass today to Adamas Nogo. Uh, rim running. That, those are the things that they want to do. That's the identity that this team wants to have. And when they're at their best and when they can play that way, they're they're just absolutely dominant, man. You like you know what they are when they are at their best. And when they are at their best, they're good enough to do things like beat Alabama, beat Iowa State, beat Creighton when they're at full strength. Like they're just they're when they do what they want to do and when they can thrive doing what they want to do, they are good enough to make a final four. They are good enough to beat anybody in the Big East, to win the Big East tournament title, to do whatever they want to do this season. They are as good as anybody. Point blank, period. I don't even think that this is arguable. There's a reason why at one point this season they were number one on Kempom. There is a reason why, despite the fact that they've lost six of their last eight games, they are still sixth on Kempom. That's how good they were Early on this season, that's how good they were when they beat really, really, really damn good basketball teams earlier on this season. It's inarguable. The problem, which we discussed last week at length, is that there are a couple of exploitable flaws with this group. And when you take them out of what they want to do, it gets very, very tough for UConn to play at the level that we expect them to play at, right? I'm going to compare them to Providence here. I know UConn fans are probably going to get mad at me about this, but like Providence is a team that can beat you in multiple ways. They have multiple guys that can beat you. They have multiple guys that can win on a single possession. We know how good Jared Bynum is. He's proven it over and over again. We've seen how good Bryce Hopkins can be. He might honestly, like I think he's probably the best um Maybe the best player in the Big East, probably the the front runner for Big East player of the year. I don't know. Tyler Kolick's been awesome. There's a lot of really good players in the Big East this year, but Bryce Hopkins is as good as any of them, right? Devin Carter can go out and dominate a game if you need him to. Ed Croswell's just been a monster on the glass. He's so damn tough. Like they they got a lot of dudes, and their dudes are going to be better than your dudes a lot of the time and in a lot of the games that they play. And when they're not, their game plan from the coaching staff. And the execution from the players that are actually on the floor is good enough to be able to make up the difference in talents level for 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 ninety percent of the games that well I'm sorry for eighty percent of the games that they played they're forty four and eleven in the last two seasons there's a reason why I love trolling Providence fans and saying that they're lucky it ain't luck man that team is damn good and they can beat you a number of different ways when you have guys that can win one on one and you have a coach and a coaching staff that thrives at finding and attacking the weaknesses and the exploitable parts of an opponent, you're going to win a lot of basketball games, point blank, period. Then there's a team like Villanova. In their reign, when they were the best team in the Big East, they played a certain way. They were something of a system team as well, right? They wanted to do a specific thing, and they wanted to play a specific style, and it worked because, one, 
They didn't just have pros up and down their lineup. They had killers all over the floor. I'm talking Mikhail Bridges. I'm talking about Jalen Brunson. I'm talking about Dante DiVincenzo and Ryan Archidiacono and Eric Pascal and all these dudes that were awesome and won titles and were going on and had long careers thriving in the NBA, right? And number two, those guys were so good that there wasn't an exploitable weakness on the floor. They were just nights when maybe they didn't shoot well enough. Maybe they weren't quite good enough. Uh, maybe there were a couple of years where they had enough talent to be like a top 15 team instead of a top five team, whatever it was like they did what they wanted to do and they did it well. And they were going to win the majority of their games as a result of it. There was nothing that you could exploit. Virginia is another team kind of like Villanova, right? They were the they, they did the same thing for like a half decade under Tony Bennett. It was always the defense and it was always this block remover offense and they played their two bigs and they kind of did what they did until they ran into UMBC and they lost by 20 to a 16 seed as a number 1 seed. The late the last in a long line of early tournament flameouts from a program that was just so damn good in the regular season but couldn't find a way to get it done in March. So Tony Bennett spent an off season changing what he does right he spent an offseason fixing one what was broken the mental strain that comes from being the first number one seed to ever lose to a 16 seed and kind of getting their confidence back and getting their mojo back and reminding them that, hey you know what ty jerome kyle guy deandre hunter you motherfuckers can play right he spent an offseason changing that and fixing what was broken but then he also changed who they were he installed a more modern ball screen continuity offense instead of just running the simple blocker mover that he even run forever that he got from his dad. Um, I'm not going to go into the details specifically of that change, but essentially what they did was uh, they went from being a team that played two bigs and had two bigs on the floor at the same time to playing a more modern kind of spread ball screen uh, kind of an offense. And it worked. They won a national title in 2019 as a result of it. And that brings me to Andre Jackson. All right. I know people kind of hate it when I say this, but I'm going to say it again. When he is playing with a supreme level of confidence, I accidentally drank an ice cube. When he is playing with a supreme level of confidence, he is the most impactful and disruptive defender in all of college basketball. He is the definition of a menace. There is a reason why UConn has gone from being one of the best defensive teams in college basketball, point blank period, when he was playing like Andre fucking Jackson, to being in middle of the pack defense when he's kind of playing like this. And I believe personally, this is it's entirely confidence, right? I think it's entirely in his head. And I, I just I don't think people understand the toll mentally that it is going to take on a kid to go from being like a top 50 recruit to being the best player in high school every time you step on the floor to going to college and being a potential first round pick to being a guy that's getting all this nba hype to being a guy that's being talked up for the first two months of the season to having every single defense you face every single night sit there and say essentially you suck so much we're not going to guard you you suck so much that it's better for us to have you shoot a shot with nobody playing defense than it is to have somebody else shoot a shot with defense being played on them. It's psychological warfare to a point. 
especially when you're dealing with a player who already isn't all that confident in his ability to make a shot, man. It fucks with them. It does. I, I was talking with a coach tonight um, who had a player that dealt with something similar a couple years back. I'm not going to say who it was, but that coach told me he actually spoke with Danny Hurley about like what it was like dealing with this compared to what it's like for him dealing with Andre Jackson and Andre Jackson dealing with these kind of a defense. And this is how he put it to me. Quote, it really messes kids up mentally to think that they're a bad player and that they are hurting their team by being on the floor. That's what Andre's going through right now. That is where he is at with this. We sit here and we talk about how UConn has exploitable stuff offensively, how the way to stop them and the way to mess this team up is just not to guard Andre Jackson. And think about him hearing that. Think about what he goes through when people are saying, yeah, you guys could win a national title if Andre Jackson didn't suck. Like that is essentially what we're saying, right? In not so many words. That's fucking hard. That's hard for anybody to go through. That's hard for anybody to hear. That's that's especially hard for a kid like Andre, who like, honestly, he he he, <laughs> he might be too smart for his own good, man. Like anyone you talk to about that kid, raves about him from coaches uh nba scouts doing their due diligence media that has had to deal with him like i'm not going to pretend like i know him great um but i do know him well enough to know like he's 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 a genuine dude that is intelligent and that is very self-aware about his identity about social politics about who he is as a person and who he is as a player he is a really thoughtful kid but the problem is, like, you don't really want him in the role that he's playing to be a thinker. Like, you don't want him to be a guy that's out on the floor thinking through plays. It's like, see the ball, get the ball. Read a play, react to the play. Go be a dude. Go fuck shit up. Go make a play. Go be Andre fucking Jackson. And that's hard to do when you're kind of, like, stuck in this cycle of being trapped in your own head. You know, I was... I was talking with another coach, right? Someone that UConn beat earlier this season. And they played the exact same kind of defense on Andre. They did not guard him. They basically said, if you're going to beat us, you'll beat us and we'll live with that. And Andre made his first two shots of the game. Their first couple shots of the game. First, whatever it was, he made some shots early. And they kept trying to play that defense on him, but not guarding him. But he spent the next 40 minutes playing with like a, a fuck you. I'm Andre fucking Jackson mindset. He played with a level of confidence that that made him the most impactful defender on in, in college basketball. And when he's playing with that mindset, he can single-handedly blow up everything that a team wants to do on the offensive end of the floor. So this is the conundrum that this UConn team is currently facing. Without Andre Jackson playing like Andre fucking Jackson, UConn is never going to be the team that they were in November and December. It's just that simple, right? They're never going to be that good. They're just going to, they're just never going to be an elite defensive team without their best defensive player playing like the best defender in America. Like this is not a hot take. This is not controversial. That That's just, it is what it is. The rest of this rotation is filled with guys that are somewhere between like solid to above average defensive players. And if you have a bunch of solid to above average defensive players, you're going to be a solid to above average defensive team. 
That's what it is. That's how basketball works. I don't know if Andre Jackson, I don't know if we'll ever see Andre Jackson playing like Andre fucking Jackson when defenses don't guard him. So if you are Dan Hurley, this is the question that you are asking yourself. Do you try to fix what's broken, what's going on with Andre right now, or do you try to reinvent who you are as a team so you're not so reliant on Andre Jackson being Andre fucking Jackson to be able to win? Now, neither of those options are ideal, and neither of those options are something that you want to deal with when you're just past the halfway point of conference season, right? We got eight games left before the Big East tournament starts. You basically got a month to figure this thing out or else you're going to be out early in the the Big East tournament. You're probably going to be out early in the NCAA tournament. But I do think the fact that we're in the middle of this two-week window where UConn only plays DePaul and Georgetown, that matters. I think this is critical. I think this is a really important week. Um, And the reason I say that is we saw a little bit of different stuff from UConn tonight, but it wasn't like they were necessarily reinventing the wheel. We saw more of the two big lineup, which is like a good thing to kind of have in your arsenal and be able to use in nights when you're going to be able to. It's not an every night thing. There's going to be nights when you need to use Adama Sanogo at the four and Donovan Klingon at the five. They did tonight and it worked. It's nice to have that in your arsenal. Um, they, I think they went to Tristan Newton a little bit more in ISO because it seems like he's playing a little bit more confident and it seems like he's taking a little bit of ownership in that role. It seems like we're seeing a little bit more of uh, the Tristan Newton that was the only player in college basketball to average 17, 5 and 5 last season. But what we didn't see tonight was a ton of Andre playing at the four and using Andre as a screener and, and making sure that his defender was always engaged because he was involved in the play instead of being the passer from the high post or being the guy that was standing off in the corner trying to space the floor. So my guess and the way that I interpreted what we saw there is that Danny Hurley's trying to get him confident again. If Andre Jackson is going to get back to playing with the confidence to be Andre fucking Jackson, it's going to happen against teams like the Paul and Georgetown, right? It's going to be against some of the bottom teams in the conference. In soccer, it's a term that we use called playing someone into a run of form. And if I had to guess, that is what Dan Hurley's trying to do. Because at the end of the day, you're going to be able to win some games. You're going to be able to put together a nice record. You're going to be able to take advantage of some matchups, and you're going to be able to do some things where you're a pretty good team when Andre Jackson isn't playing the way that you know that he can be, right? If Tristan Newton can get you 20 on most nights and Jordan Hawkins can go off like this and we know what Adama Sanogo can be and you can go with that two-big lineup if you need to, UConn's a good team. They're fine. They can probably get to the the semifinals, maybe the, the the quarterfinals, and maybe the semifinals of the Big East tournament. They should be able to win a game in March, maybe two, and get to the second weekend. But UConn's not going to hit their ceiling unless we get our Andre fucking Jackson back. It's as simple as that. And the key for Dan Hurley now is to figure out how to make that happen.